Good morning. And if you're listening online, good morning, football fans. <laughs> Those of you who are here this morning and you are football fans, I applaud your dedication to be here. Because <clears throat> as you know, games have started and we've resisted the temptation to have a fantasy football ticker up here for you, but if I hear you applauding or yelling out loud during the sermon, I'm going to assume that's what it is, and I'm just going to hope we have the same player on our team (laughs) that you have on yours. How's that? Thank you for being here. Um, Excited to be here. I know that it's warm. I'm glad that it's, we're not holding church when it was Wednesday, when it was like 107 in La Habra. So thank you for, uh, thank the Lord for turning the heat down a little bit, and if you can bear with us for about three more weeks it gets much cooler here. We thank you for your dedication, staying with us over the summer, and we're glad that you're here this morning because we've begun a conversation starting last week about who we are as a church, about where we're going as a church. We're continuing that conversation this morning, and we're going to continue that conversation into next week. And we started that conversation last week by talking about who God is and whether we know God or not because... Who we are and what we do is really driven out of who we believe God is. Who we are as a church and what we do as a church is really driven by who we collectively believe God to be. Because our understanding of who God is either changes everything, it either changes our whole life, or it changes nothing at all. We want to be a church that knows God really knows him, and through his story, we fall in love with him. And as we fall in love with him, we understand more fully the story of why we love him so much, the story that's told to us in Scripture, the story of God, what we refer to every week as the gospel. Because we're not interested in just putting on a church service every week here. Believe it or not, we don't just love loading and unloading that trailer every week, all summer in the heat. We don't just love going back there when the air conditioning is not on, when it's like 15 degrees warmer in the children's hallways than it is out here. And just, we, it's not that we're here because we're just gluttons for punishment. We're here because we really believe that God is who he said he is. And if that's true, it changes everything. The reason we started the conversation last week about knowing God is this. If the Bible is good news and we don't understand it to be good news, then how are we going to tell anybody the good news of the Bible? If we say that we're followers of Jesus, and we don't even understand that this is good news, then who's going to believe us when we tell them it's good news? Because God's given us a mission. And if you look at your sermon notes, it says, pursue the mission. That's what we're talking about today. If God's given us a mission to share the good news of Scripture, but it's not good news to you, How are you going to explain it as good news to anybody else? So we want to know God because we want to own it. We want to own the good news. We want to know it. We want to believe it. And here's what I mean. If you were to ask me, just ask me about the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2014. Kings versus the L.A. Sharks. And I apologize in advance, Samantha, about this. (laughs) We have at least one Sharks fan in here that I know of. If you were to say, Dennis, could you just... Could you just tell me about the opening round of the playoffs in 2014, Kings versus Sharks? You would not have to prompt any of the details. I remember the whole thing. You would not have to tell me how it ends. I remember the whole thing. 
Here's why, and this sounds ridiculous, but if you were to ask me about it, I would talk to you about it probably until you left the room. I would just keep, I could go on for a long time about it. Why? Because we talk about what we love. We love to talk about what we love. And if you have that thing in your life, I love this, you ask me about it, I will talk your ear off about it. We all have that thing in our life because we love talking about what we love. Have you ever known somebody who's found a diet and exercise program that really worked for them and told no one? (laughs) Of course not. They'll tell you about it all the time. They'll tell you about it until you're like, please, I understand that it worked for you. I understand that you're better than me. You're in better shape than I am. Please stop talking about it. Why? Why do people do that? Because we talk about what works. Because it's changed their life or it's changed the way they see themselves or it's changed the way others see them. And so they're going to talk about it all the time because it works. But here's the problem. If we don't love God and if we don't believe that the gospel actually changes anything, you're not going to talk about it. So if the mission that God has given us is to share the good news, but we don't love God and we don't believe that the gospel changes anything, then who are we going to tell? And if we tell them, who's going to believe us, really? Because people know the difference between when you're telling them something you're supposed to say and when you're telling them something because it's on your heart, because you love it, or because it's worked for you and it's changed your life. That's why step one, that's why last week was, we have to know God. Because if we know God and really understand who He is and what He's like, then we will fall in love with Him. And then we will talk about Him as if we love Him because we will. Because we'll understand the story of what He's done for us. When we talk about him, it'll be genuine. The church is not just some charity that we run. It is not a diet that is successful. It's not a, just a thing we can do when we have a million other things to do. It's everything. Our relationship with God is everything. And as the church, we're going to help each other to be on mission, to pursue the mission, and to know God more fully. That's our goal as the church. That's why we're here. When we have an accurate view of who we are before God, when we really understand who we are and we understand our sin and we feel the weight of our sinfulness before a holy God, and then we have an accurate picture of who God is, that he fought for us and pursued us in spite of who we are, then all of a sudden the cross means something to us. All of a sudden forgiveness and salvation has weight to it. We feel it because nobody's excited about having a rescuer if they don't know they need one. But when we feel the weight of our need for someone to save us, when we feel the weight of our sin and our brokenness, and then we find we have a rescuer and a God who loves us and pursued us and fought for us in spite of who we are, then it means something. And then Jesus tells us that if we become followers of him, I've got something I need you to do. I have a role for you to play. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to open the Word of God. We're going to open to a very familiar passage, but I would just ask that before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning, and we are grateful for all the good things that you have poured out on us and on this church. Lord, I pray this morning that you would capture our hearts, that you would speak your words to us that we would hear from you this morning through your word and that we would get excited, Lord, about knowing you in a real way. We would be 
excited about how you have changed our lives, and then we'd be excited about sharing that with others. So we pray that you'd be here now, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. In your name, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn to Matthew chapter 28? If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one near you. We got a bunch of new ones, so they're spread out in the seats. You can grab one, find one near you. But we're going to be in Matthew 28, and if you're using our Bible, that's going to be page 835. Way toward the back of the New Testament, page 835, Matthew 28. It's a very familiar passage to many of you. But here's the thing, when we're confronted with the truth of who God is, and we understand what he's done, we understand the story of God, the love story that's painted for us in the Bible, when we really understand that we're moved to respond, we have to respond. We can't help but respond when we really understand what that looks like. And here's what our response looks like. Our response looks like repentance. Our response looks like we're going to turn from all the other things in our life, that we've trusted in or leaned on or looked for, for fulfillment from, and we're going to turn to Jesus instead. And we're going to trust in Him, and we're going to lean on Him, and we're going to find our fulfillment in Him. We're going to claim what God has done for us over our lives, and we're going to say, I identify myself as a follower of Jesus. Once we've made that choice, then he says, I have something I need you to do, and that's what we see in Matthew chapter 28, what's known as the Great Commission. It says this, starting in verse 18, right at the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, not just the 12, no, 12 minus 1, not just the 11. Remember, Judas is not in the picture anymore. A lot of his followers have gathered to hear him, and this is what he's saying. This is the same Jesus who was dead a couple weeks ago. They watched him die, and now he's standing there talking to them. That's pretty amazing. When somebody does that, you listen to what they say. And this is what Jesus said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. I am in charge. (laughs) I am the boss. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. Now, what's disciple? What does that mean? That's a Bible word. That's a church word. But what is a disciple? Anyone in here who's in a life group should be able to answer this question. But no pressure. That's only like 200 of you. What is a disciple? That's a real question. That's not rhetorical. What's a disciple? Yes. Student, a follower, right? A follower. So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus. That's exactly right. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's saying, I'm looking to surrender every aspect of my life to the teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm looking to surrender my life under Jesus. That means it informs every decision that I make as a follower of Jesus Christ. So he says, go and make disciples. And then what he outlines is kind of a process for what it looks like to make disciples. And the first thing he says is, make disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Now, a lot of times we put the emphasis on the go, but the emphasis on the make disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations. He certainly means to say, go everywhere and make disciples. But the action is disciple making. Make Jesus followers. Help 
people follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. Help them follow me. How do you do that? We just talked through it, right? It's that process of repentance. When I repent or turn from whatever I'm currently following and I say, I'm going to follow Jesus instead. That's the process of following Jesus. That's how I become a follower. Now, we would understand repent to mean turn and follow. But if you were to look up the word repent in the dictionary, do you know what it would say? It says to grieve or to have sorrow or to lament. How does that fit into the picture of becoming a follower of Jesus? Because repentance is something they talk about all the time. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is mentioned over and over in Scripture. But what does that mean for us? What part of this, excuse me, is sad? What part do we grieve? We feel sorrow. We feel grief because we have pursued things other than Jesus. We feel sorrow or we feel grief because we have elevated other things above Jesus. And so our repentance is to turn from those things and say there is no other thing above Jesus. There is no other greater value than Him. Now there's a point of application for us. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life, what do you take from that? Here's the question I would ask. Have you ever grieved over your sin? Have you ever felt sorrow over your sin? Because I would think the process of becoming a disciple and the process that is outlined in Scripture would imply grief and sorrow. Not that we're supposed to stay there, but we are supposed to get there. How do I know that? If you recall the Sermon on the Mount, what is the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There is a humility and a brokenness that comes with being a follower of Jesus. We have to own our sinfulness before a holy God. But do you know what the next thing he says is? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're not meant to stay in the brokenness, but we're supposed to understand it. We're supposed to own it. So that when we hear that we're rescued out of it, that God offers forgiveness and God offers salvation, that it means something to us. So the question is, have we ever felt humbled or broken or grieved before a holy God? And if that's never happened to you, I would just say you need to spend a little time there and you need to spend a little bit of time in prayer there. Now, some of you live there. We talked about this last week. You're not supposed to stay there because once we're humbled and broken before a holy God, he says, I love you anyway. I paid for you with my son anyway. And so blessed are those who mourn, who weep their brokenness and humility before God because God says, come into my family and accept the gift of being adopted as my son or my daughter. You're a child of the king now. There is forgiveness and salvation in the Lord. See, nobody gets excited about being rescued if they don't understand they need rescuing. We have to understand the weight of our situation and where we stand before God, and then we praise Him because He saves us anyway. He saves us anyway. So step one, Jesus says we make disciples. We help people become followers of Jesus. We do that by talking to Him about it. We do that by demonstrating and modeling that for them. We help them follow. Step two, he says, baptizing them, right? He says, make disciples, baptizing them. That's the next thing. We just did this not too long ago. Nine people baptized in the pool right here. It was awesome. What does it mean 
to be baptized. Why does Jesus ask us to do that? It means that we would identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. If you're going to follow me, then raise your hand and say, I follow Jesus. I identify myself as a follower. So we do it because Jesus says to. That's the first reason. Jesus says, be baptized. So we do. We obey. Why else? Because Jesus did it himself. Jesus was baptized. And as a follower or a student of Jesus, then we follow what he did. We follow him. We do it because it's a picture of our salvation. Baptism pictures our salvation. We share in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so that when we're lowered into the water of baptism, we share in his death and his burial and our old self dies. The one that pursued other things over Jesus And when we're raised out of the waters of baptism, we share in his resurrection, in the power to overcome sin, and we're raised to a new life. That's why Paul says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives through me. I'm just a vessel for him. That's the picture of baptism. That's why it's so beautiful. And it's a public testimony. This is a way that I share my story. This is how I tell everyone about the incredible diet and exercise program that I'm on. But I get to tell everybody what Jesus has done in my life. He's changed me. I'm a new person. I no longer live in the brokenness and the sin. I live a new life through Christ who has rescued me. He's my rescuer and I want you to know about him. So we share our story with others. Some of you have been baptized, some of you very recently, some of you never have. And maybe it's because you didn't understand baptism or why we do it, or maybe it's just because you don't understand where you are with the Lord. But I would just say next Sunday, we've got water and we've got people from church. We're going to go to the beach and we're going to baptize people. And I would just say, if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, then get baptized. I would just encourage you to come up and talk to me about it, talk to any of us about it. We would love to do that. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple, a student of the King. So he said, make disciples. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what was the third thing? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Uh Uh-oh, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Well, thankfully, Jesus boiled it down for us. Remember, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you, everything that you've watched me do, follow in my steps. A disciple is somebody who's looking to bring every area of their life under submission to Jesus Christ. That's what we mean to do as followers of Jesus. Now, is anyone in here doing that perfectly? No. Most of us are doing it horribly, and I include myself in that. We are struggling through. We are failing forward is the goal. We are trying to be more like Jesus, but it's really hard. That's why we don't do it by ourselves. That's why we do it together. That's the picture of the church. Say, let's make disciples. Let's help each other follow Jesus. So when he says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, that's what we do together. We remind each other. We come together here this morning and every week to remind each other, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And then I want to bring every area of my life under submission to that. What are the areas of my life where I'm not trusting him? Where are the areas of my life where I don't believe who he says he is? And I would change that about him, about me. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, it means I'm looking to become more like him. 
And then it means I'm looking to surrender every aspect of my life to him. And then it means once I've done that, in the process of doing that, I'm looking to share that with anyone else who wants a part of what I have in God. Any part of that relationship that I have in him, I want to share that with other people. I'm looking for opportunities to share. So if that's the mission, the mission is that we're going to share. And Jesus says, I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them so they identify themselves with me. And I want you to teach them to follow me and to obey me. How important is that, do you think? If we're saying that's the mission of the church, how important is the mission? Or is that just for certain people within the church or just for people with the gift of evangelism or just people who like to talk to other people, people who aren't uncomfortable in social situations, just for pastors and overseers, maybe deacons? No. Turn with me. I closed my Bible. But if you're in Matthew already, turn to the right. We're going to go to Luke chapter 24. So pass Mark, go all the way to the end of the book of Luke. If you've got our Bible this morning, That's page 885. Luke chapter 24 captures the same thing, the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And here's what he says. This is Jesus talking, Luke chapter 24, verse 46. This is Jesus. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Sounds very familiar. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I want you to look at the beginning of that passage. There are three things that Jesus says, and he gives them equal waiting, which is really interesting. They're connected with an and. Do you see what they are? He says that Christ should suffer and that he should rise from the dead And what? That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Those are the three things. There's three parts. Jesus suffers and dies for our sin. God raises him from the dead. And then what? You proclaim it through the power of the Holy Spirit as the party tacks on at the end so we know it's not just us. It's imperative that all three of these things happen. Do you see that? It can't just be that Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. The story can't end there because people have to know the story. Someone has to tell them that Jesus died for them and that God demonstrated his power over sin, death, and Satan by raising Jesus from the dead. All three have to happen because we can't stand before people and say, Oh yeah, you have a rescuer. I just forgot to tell you that you have one. Part of the story is that everybody would know the story. That everyone would know that they have a rescuer. So the mission of the church is to proclaim the love of God. The mission of the church is to tell God's story. The story of Jesus' death, of God raising him from the dead. To save us from a desperate place. You don't have to turn there, but you may notice that at the end of both of these passages this morning, Jesus answers a question that nobody actually asked out loud, but probably everybody is wondering. The question is, how? How are we supposed to do this? But Jesus speaks to it when no one asks it. Do you see that? At the end of Matthew 28, he says, Don't worry, I'll go with you. I'll be with you till the very end. I'll do it with you. 
At the end of Luke 24, what does he say? He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. But hold on. I'm going to send you a helper. Wait, because I'm going to send someone to go with you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to do it. He says, I'll give you the story, and I'll give you the power. All I need you to do is share. God says, I'll initiate the work. I loved you first. Then I'll do the work. I sent my son. He died in your place. So the work is done. I'll go with you. I'm going to be with you to the end. And I'll give you the power to do it. I'm going to send the Spirit. So what is left for us to do? Just share. Just tell the story. That's what he says. Just tell the story. If that's the mission of the church, how do we do it? How are we going to do it as a church? Redemption Hill. How are we going to make disciples? How are we going to pursue the mission? What does that look like for us? I think it looks like a couple things. First, we have to be a family that knows God. We have to be people who love God. Or else we're going to go and share a story we don't believe, and no one's going to believe it. We have to be people who become passionate about our God and understand Him so that it changes who we are. So we have to talk to each other all the time about it and proclaim the gospel to each other all the time so that we would own it and we would believe it and we would celebrate the fact that we have a rescuer. That's step one. The second part is we want to pursue the mission. God says, if you're going to follow me, I have a job for you to do. You get to be a part of what I'm doing. I'm going to change the world and you can participate if you want. So we want to say, yeah, I'm in. I want to pursue the mission. What does that look like? For us, we really believe that the best way for us to do that as a church is through what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's part of what we're doing here, is speaking the gospel to each other over and over again, praising God for what he has done, saying it out loud to each other so that we don't forget, so we would not forget to know our God, to talk about our God, to practice talking about him to each other so that we would get good at it and it would become normal for us. The second thing is, Life groups. Now, many of you are already in a life group. Some of you don't even know what that means. What is a life group? A life group is just a group of people who want to surround themselves with other people who love Jesus and want to pursue the mission. That's the whole point. Let me surround myself with people who love Jesus and want to pursue the mission so that they can help me be a follower of Jesus. That's the goal of life groups. And what we want to see our life groups do is be together learn together, and serve together. That's why the three core values of our life groups are family, discipleship, and mission. We want you to become a family. We want you to disciple each other, make each other, help each other be followers of Jesus. And then we want you to pursue the mission together. That's what we want it to look like. So if you're not in a life group, this is like a plug. If you are in a life group, this is a reminder. This is what we're meant to be. It's not just a social club, and it's not just a Bible study. We want to know God, we want to be a family, and we want to pursue His mission together. So here's what it looks like. What does it mean for a life group to be a family? It means we want every life group to be a family of people on mission, a family of like-minded individuals who say, I'm trying to follow Jesus the best I can, and I want to pursue the mission, and would you help me? But part of that is just being together. Part of that is just living life together because in life we find all of the difficulties and all of the hurts 
and all of the joys. And we want people to share that with. So we just want to invite you into a family. That means that your life group may meet once a month just to hang out, just to play games, just meet at Coldstone, just go to someone's soccer game and be a family together. We would say that is a legitimate pursuit of our mission for life groups, that you would just be together and love each other in a genuine way. It might mean that sometimes you just get together and you just pray for each other or pray for an individual in your group that's going through a really difficult time because that's what a family would do. We want you to treat each other like a family. That means every life group learns together the discipleship piece. We want to help each other follow Jesus. What does that look like? All of our life groups are going through a book right now called Multiply. And it answers really basic, simple questions like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be part of a church? How do I study the Bible? The trick that we've played on all of you who are in life groups, which is a lot of you, is that do you realize now that you're going through that book, that you are now equipped to walk anyone else through it? So when you're done going through the Multiply book, that you ought to be able to pick that up and talk to a friend or a neighbor or a family member that says, I don't understand church, I don't understand religion, I don't understand the Bible, I don't know what it means to be a Christian, and just say, hey, I can walk you through that. I know how to do that. That also means if you're part of a life group and you're not paying attention or you're not asking difficult questions, you are not equipping yourself to be a disciple maker. Our goal is to disciple you to be disciple makers. That's the whole picture. That when we're done, we'd have an extra 200 disciple makers. That we would become a church that God can direct people to because he says, I know that they will love them and I know that they will point them to me. That's what we want to be as a church. And that every life group would then pursue the mission of God. Pursue the mission of disciple making. So here's what we've challenged all of our life groups to do, and this is a challenge, by the way, because a lot of us have struggled with how to do this. We have said, find a people and a place in La Habra and love them in the name of Jesus. That's what we want you to do. Pursue the mission, find a people and a place to love. And that every life group would say, how can I orient my life around ministering to those people and loving them in the name of Jesus? And how are we uniquely equipped or inspired to do that as a group. Here's what it looks like. Last time we talked about this, I had to give you examples from other churches because we hadn't started yet. This year I get to give you examples from our church because we have started. How cool is that? So here's what it looks like for a life group to pursue the mission of God. It means we have life groups that are helping out with a preschool just caring for their facility, just doing work for them in the name of Jesus. It means we have life groups that have served the high school in ways. We had an opportunity to serve at graduation here last year, and it was awesome. Because what happens when you do that is people say, you don't have to do that. Or they say, why are you doing that? And that's what we're waiting for. We have life groups who've cleaned up group homes. We have life groups that served meals. We have life groups that clean the pregnancy care center in Whittier and serve the people that they serve. We have some life groups that have seen needs within our own body and said there are people in our own church who need to be loved in the name of Jesus that are underserved and our life group would like to do that. Do you know that's why we have a ministry to young adults? It's not a program of the church. It's a ministry of a life group. 
That's why we have something for our seniors. Not because it's a program of the church, but because it's a ministry of our own people to our own people. And then it gives an opportunity to bring people into that group and say, this is weird. Why do you guys do this? Why do you host these people at your house? Why do you serve us in this way? And that's the question that we're asking for. That's the one we're waiting for. For someone to say, why are you doing this? So that we would have an opportunity to say why. We're doing this because we have been loved first. We have been loved extravagantly by God, and so we love extravagantly in return. And the more we realize how much God loves us, the easier it is to love people in his name in extravagant ways. That's what we want to be as a church. We love and serve people in the name of Jesus so that we can tell his story, which is the story that he tells us in Scripture. It's why we do it. On your connection card that most of you are using as a fan, which is totally appropriate, that's how we designed them, (laughs) there's a place on there to say, I want to be a part of a life group. Whatever that is that you're describing, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. And you can check that on your connection card and say, I'd like to do that. We'd love for you to join us. We'll find a place for you. And if we could encourage you to do one thing as a part of our church, it would be that. Because we really think that's the best place that we can make disciples. This is how we will be the church. Not just by showing up here on Sundays, but by helping each other follow Jesus by caring for each other as a family, and by pursuing his mission together. We want to be the kind of church that God can send people to because he knows that we're going to love people in his name, and we're going to help them follow him, and we're going to pursue his mission. Jesus says, my disciples make disciples. And yeah, it's really important because I had to die, and God had to raise me from the dead, and someone has to tell people. It's really important, the mission piece of it. And my hope would be this morning that you're encouraged by that and you're just thinking, yes, I'm in. I want to be on mission. I want to pursue the mission. But my sense is that some of us will be discouraged by this because we'll just be thinking of all the ways that we're falling short of the mission. Some of you are in life groups right now and you're thinking, we've been meeting for months or maybe a year and we still don't even know how we're pursuing the mission. Here's what I would say. Whether it's you feeling like, I've, I haven't shared my faith with someone in the last six months. I haven't shared my faith with someone in years. I've never shared my faith with someone. Or you're in a life group saying, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how we're pursuing the mission. However you feel like you're failing, I'd just be, I would just say, that's fine. That's okay. It's okay to fail. We've got to get used to that because we're following Jesus. We're going to fail a lot. But let's fail forward. So here's my goal for us. Let's be missional as a church, and let's be incrementally missional. So here's my challenge. Be more missional today than you were yesterday. Tomorrow, be more missional than you were today. Look for opportunities to share the story of what God has done. And if you don't know what God has done, then come and talk to us. If you've been a follower for Jesus, of Jesus for a long time, and you don't even know how to express it, then I'd say, let's talk. Let's fall in love with Jesus so that we can tell people about him. I'm going to pick somebody and I'll pray for them. I'm going to pray for an opportunity to share with them. We've given you that challenge before. Lord, put someone on my heart and give me an opportunity to tell them about you. Here's what I'd like you to do on that connection card. doesn't mean you have to be doing it really well, but if you want to pursue the mission, you're a follower of Jesus, just say, okay, I'm in. 
I'm in. I'm going to join a life group. I'm going to pray for somebody. You don't have to tell us what you're doing. Just say, I'm in. I want to pursue the mission because we want to pray for you as you do that because we know it's not easy. Some of you have maybe already put it on there or you want to put on there, I want to join a life group. I want to be a part of that. Some of you are thinking, you got to back the train way up for me. I don't even know what you're talking about, about being a follower of Jesus, but what you're describing sounds like something I want. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to start from step one. You can put that on your card or you can come and talk to me this morning. We would love to tell you about him because we love to talk about what we love and what works. And I promise you that Jesus is worth it and the gospel works. It changes lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here and we're so grateful for the message of the gospel that's told through your scripture. Lord, I pray right now for us as a church, would you make us a church who pursues you with passion, who follows you with our whole heart. Help us to fall in love with you. Help us to know you in a way that we just can't help but share with those around us what you've done. Lord, you are our king and our rescuer. We're lost without you. You're our only hope. And so we thank you and we love you. Would you hear our praises now, Lord, as we sing to you? In your name we pray, amen.